Welcome to Dragon Talk. Woo! Yeah! Yeah, yeah Ryan! We love you, Dragon Talk! Oh, thank it. you. That's awesome. We oh, love you, too. Oh, that was yeah. so nice. Yeah, woo. I didn't realize we had an audience in we here. We do. Live studio audience. Thanks, buddy. Uh, we <laughs> have a very, very fun interview uh, today. We're excited to talk to Almeret Terrell. Uh, also known as Torn Pixie. Love it. Uh, all about the amazing stuff she does uh, creating podcasts uh, as well as, you know, the graphic art uh, uh, type of things that she uh, does. It's been good stuff. been following her on, on Twitter for a long time, so I'm excited to, to, to pick her brain. All right. It's going to be fun. She's going to be here in the studio. What? I know, right? This is in person? It's going to be in person. Oh, you know, I was, one, I was like, I thought it was weird. I'm like, why didn't Ryan take away that other microphone? I guess he was too busy, whatever. But that makes sense now. It makes sense now because we already talked to oh, her. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, it, we, it was surprising that she was in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> eh, sorry. <laughs> uh, so that's going to be tons of fun. What else do you, what's going on in your world uh, in, in, in making of games? What can you, what can you talk about? A lot of things that I can't oh talk gosh. about. You're always working on secret projects. But I will say that Dungeon Mayhem Battle for Baldur's Gate is at the printer. <gasps> it's at the printer? It's at the printer. I had all those notes I wanted to give you on the oh, playtest. Oh, shoot. Probably really important. <laughs> no. You were, were our, like, you were our only playtester, and we didn't get your feedback. My playtest <laughs> notes were mostly like, this is cool. Pretty good stuff. Oh, I like this part. artwork. Oh, this one's funny. Oh, uh, Boo, you're so cute. Yeah, I like to snuggle with you. You can play Minsk and Boo. Or you can play Jahera. Jahera. Both of which are from the Baldur's Gate video games. That's right. I feel yeah. like Jahera is one of the first she, ones you recruit in like the original Baldur's Gate. That, is that, that is true, true of her. Yeah. She is a shape-shifting druid. Druid of her. And she's so cool and she's awesome. Cool. And yeah. she does shape-shift. And so those are integrated with the Dungeon Mania characters that are already out there. Yeah. So now there will be six. There are six uh, you can choose from. So you just have more options. I like options. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. When's that coming out? That just comes out in September. Nice, very cool. That's oh, also no. that's also when um, the Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus adventure will be available on September seventeenth. I feel like Dungeon Mayhem will be a good palate cleanser for you after you've been going to hell a few times. <laughs> you might be like, "Woohoo! We need to do something kind of light and airy." But it will also get you excited about uh, the Baldur's Gate section of that. Uh, Totes. Uh, uh, that was no accident. Adventure, exactly right. Like you'll learn all about uh, what's going on in there. That uh, adventure has a gazetteer kind of chapter where it updates what's happening in that city since the video games. Uh, more than a hundred years have passed, I think, in in game time. Uh, so it might look a little bit different than what you remember. Um, and you can also, uh, as you know, go to hell. Go to the uh, Vernus, the first layer of uh, the Nine Hells. And uh, you can do that same thing. There's information about running campaigns and adventures, uh, uh, you know, that follow the storyline. But you can also just run adventures in Avernus based on the chapter that talks all about it there. Yes. Pretty exciting. Very cool. We had a lot of fun talking all about Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus as well as all of its ancillary products at D&D Live. Go ahead and check out all the videos yeah. from that on our YouTube channel. There are many. Many. And we will be uh, adding out even more uh, as well as kind of recap videos of, of what it was going like oh, on cool. the whole thing. Uh, there's also some... Recap stuff from Dragon Plus. Uh, Matt Chapman, the editor-in-chief there, did uh, some amazing work. So if you haven't downloaded the latest issue of Dragon Plus, do so now. It's got lots of great stuff in it. Including Um, your letter. Including my letter. Thank you. From the editor. I always say to the editor, but no, from the editor. Yeah, on the editor. 
Letterer. 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 It's a letterer. It's a letterer. <laughs> uh, Matt Chapman was nice enough to let, let me do that, but it was also great hanging with him uh, in, in L.A. Yeah. Uh, he's, a, he's a wonderful British chap who has been playing Dungeons and Dragons for a long time. So uh, great to see it. He did some great reporting from that uh, he did. event. Uh, as well as did lots of other fun people. So shout out to all the wonderful... Uh, press that came as well as all the still fans. We're coverage. still we're we're talking about what we're going to do in 2020. What do you think we should do? Baking. Oh, like the great British baking show, but yeah. like but in, but the great Forgotten Realms baking show in uh, what location? The Moon. Yes. Yes. All right. Done and done. Okay. We're going to the Moon. You heard it here first, folks. Confirmed. Spelljammer. But confirmed. we should like actually. Go to the moon. Like that's, that's what I'm where okay, that's right. where the event should be. SpaceX. Yes. Yeah. Because we need more room. <laughs> that's, that's, kind of that studio can we need to spread out. That's been the biggest bit of feedback is that we uh, we have the outgrown uh, uh, studio space. So yeah. we gotta make it make Jeff it bigger. Bezos will take us to the moon. We love Jeff. Yeah. He's a very big D and D fan. He should be. Yeah. If he's not. If he's not. <laughs> I think he is. Maybe he's a real big uh, uh, spell jammer fan. I'm gonna so. just guess that he's probably played D and D when he was little. Maybe like three or four times. Yep. Nice. Uh, well, uh, in addition to all of the Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus stuff that's coming out uh, in the fall, there's a lot of wonderful D&D out there right now, including Acquisitions Incorporated, the book. Uh, it is a fantastic 224-page uh, book that gives Dungeon Masters and players a whole bunch of stuff to work with, including uh, a adventure that goes from first level to sixth level. Rules on starting your own franchise and how to run your own franchise, positions that you can hold within Actions Incorporated as well as NPC stat blocks for many of the characters that you know and love. Yes. What are some of the characters that you know and love from Actions Incorporated, Shelley? Rosie Beestinger. She is in it to well, win it. She's in, does that C-team count? A totes? Yeah. McGoats. Jim Dark Magic. Damn. <laughs> Uh, uh, Viari. Boom. <laughs> All of those are in there and more, and uh, you should pick up that book if you're interested in a different flavor of Dungeons & Dragons. Even if you're not an Acrodits Incorporated fan or haven't really listened a lot. It's just different. It's a nice little way to show off uh, the different flavors of Dungeons & Dragons. This one has like a... Cool a, minty. A dark fantasy oh. corporate feel, like you're playing like in some kind of... Like a heavenly hash? As a, as a flavor? Yeah. No, it's more like a uh, dark corporate uh, joke, a satire of corporate structure uh, within a fantasy universe. Which I feel like is represented by Heavenly Hash. I would say Rocky Road. That's kind of Heavenly Hash. <laughs> Moose Trails? <laughs> Something like that. Maybe. Yeah. We'll go with uh, Cherry Garcia. Chubby Hubby. <laughs> Chubby Hubby is the best ice cream, by the way. That is the best flavor of Dungeons and Dragons. Chubby What book would be Chubby Hubby? We're going to leave that up to our listeners to to, to call in and let us know. Ponder that. Um, There's also Goats of Saltmarsh. If you want to sail the 717 seas of Dungeons and Dragons, um, it is chock full of adventure that you can drop in. You can pull out specific ones and just kind of play them if you yep, wanted to do a like seafaring that. adventure. Or you can run through the whole thing, yep. right? And there's also a Gazetteer chapter about this, the town of Saltmarsh that you can drop into any campaign as well. I love it. Yeah, it's been Good. out for a couple of weeks. There's a bunch of versions. The Sinister Silver Edition looks really cool from oh, Velo and Grimm's. Didn't that look awesome? I love it. There's so many great artifacts and maps and useful tools for the Dungeon Master. Yes, I've seen a lot of people very excited about that on the I, Twitter. I am very excited about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, James Olin was in the office uh, just a couple of days ago. He's the 
uh, gentleman who's starting up a studio in Austin, Texas. Uh, yeah. That's from Wizards of the Coast. Uh, still not exactly sure what it is go- he's going to make, uh, but it is very exciting. Uh, and he's a big D&D fan, and he wanted to get his hands on the Sinister Silver Edition. He, he oh. pre-ordered it and got it right away because he, he, he knew it was going to be amazing. That's awesome. And yeah. it's going to sell out. Yeah, and he's looking for a Platinum Edition of uh, Waterdeep Dragon Heist if anybody's got any lines on that. Oh. He's, he's looking for it. All right. I know. He's probably going to be like, why are, you, why are you telling everybody about this? I'm just because you know, he's we're trying D- to help. He's a big D&D fan, and I hope to have him on the podcast next time he comes up because uh, he's, that would make he's sense. been around this hobby for a long time. All right. He's a designer of video games you know and love, uh, and, but again, a very big D&D fan, so can't wait. We love him. I would like to uh, go to the bings and the bongs for our lore segment now. Do you think that's a good idea, Shelley? Bing. Bong. Welcome to another Lore You Should Know. That is the segment where we delve into little bits of Dungeons & Dragons history or lore uh, for your edification or for you to use in your game or just for fun because we like to do it. Uh, I am Greg Tito and I'm joined by Chris Perkins. Hello. How are you doing today? Groovy. We are going to talk about strange fiends today. There are fiends out there that you know. Uh, they're they're extraplanar beings. Uh, they're demons and devils and yugoloths, so some of the larger catch-alls of those them. Are, those are the ones most people think of the first, yeah, that pop in the head as soon as you say the word fiend. Exactly, yeah. but there are some categories that are strange. Don't yeah, think of those categories. They're, they're the fiends that aren't devils, demons, or yugoloths, and we're going to talk a little bit about a, a few of them, a, a three of them today. A three, a triad. Technically four. Uh, there's night hags, there's rakshasas, mm. And there's succubus slash incubus. Ah, that's the technically four. Yes, Got it. yes. And the reason we're talking about these, of course, is because descent into Baldur's Gate, descent into Avernus, is going to be out soon. We had a big event down in LA about it, and this is timely because these creatures show up. They do. They do indeed. Uh, there's Rakshasa uh, is uh, leading the traveling emporium, mm-hmm. uh, Mahadi, right? That Mahadi, was, yes. Yeah. That is that is a, a yeah. The traveling the wandering emporium is this market that basically travels around the first layer of hell, and uh, they use soul coins as their currency, among other things. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, let's talk about rakshasa first. Why don't we, why don't we jump? Okay. In? Um, well, rakshasas have have been around on Earth in lore long before Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, okay. They they come out of uh, uh, East Indian and East Asian myth as these um, specters or apparitions or demons that um, can alter their likeness to look like someone you love or trust. Mm. And um, in D&D, they first showed up in the first edition Monster Manual. Okay. And were very, very tough monsters to fight because they have near spell immunity which means wizards are very unhappy <laughs> when, when a Rakshasa shows up because most of their magic isn't going to do boo to the creature. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, they have one Achilles heel, and that is the blessed crossbow bolt. Um, they don't like being shot with those and can be more easily killed by them. And that, those two elements, their hyper magic immunity and their vulnerability to such weapons, has carried them forth steadily through many additions. In fact... Of all the many creatures we've talked about in lore, you should know, Rakshasas mechanically have changed remarkably little 
over the years. Interesting. We've been really steady with them. We've also been very steady about their appearance. And that is, in their natural form, we sort of paint them as uh, erudite, well-dressed, tiger-headed humans. Tiger-headed, I think, is a nod back to their mythical origins mm. on Earth. Is that how they were portrayed in... in, in their portrayals vary wildly. Um, but it, yes, there, there, are, there are documented portrayals of them having uh, feline features. Features. All right, that makes sense. What um, about the backwards hands? Okay, that, that is a little unclear and murky, but we, I believe, based on my research, that that is unique to D&D. Got it. Um, this that's I, un, it's like disconcerting when you really think and, about... Yes, and that, that really is the key to their... Um, I think part of their charm is these backwards hands because when you see it portrayed in an image, you just instinctively know that doesn't look right. Yeah. It looks like a mistake, and so it is unsettling. Um, but that's part of its charm is their hands look like they were placed on the wrong wrists. Yeah. So, um, you know, their thumbs are... Pointed the wrong direction. Pointed the they're wrong direction. direction. And in. their hands bend the wrong way. Yes. So when they attack you, if they're, they don't claw like this, they claw like this. Ugh. That's so uh, strange sort of to upward. think about. Yeah, it's so, it's so weird, but it's such a, um, a remarkable detail because no other monster has that. Yeah. Anything close to that. No, I mean, it, it, it reminds me of uh, horror movies or things like that that take something that looks humanoid but just shifts it a yes, little bit. You know? Correct. I'm thinking of the um, Pan's Labyrinth monster that had the eyeballs yes, and the palms and the hands, of the hands right. and things like that. Or like just something Yeah, just queasy. It makes it, it. Yeah, it makes it. It's makes like it. the Uncanny Valley type thing. Right, yeah. And now that's not to say that all Rakshasas have carried that motif forward. Actually, in uh, third edition in the Monster Manual 3 and in Eberron, uh, the first incarnation of Ebron, we there were Rakshasas that had normal hands. Oh. But I don't think that there was something then about that that didn't feel Rakshasa-like about them. The Zakia Rakshasa, which was in Eberron, and um, the Rakshasa that showed up in Monster Manual 3 uh, for 3rd edition, neither of them had it. And at that point, you've got what, a were-tiger. <laughs> because, right. because where tigers and rakshasas visually are competing for the same space because a where tiger is based, in their hybrid form is a tiger headed human humanoid right yeah. yeah so put them side by side and you can't tell the difference you wouldn't be able to do it in lineup yeah. you twist the hands around right so that was probably what I would consider a rare sort of misstep in, in monster good. evolution got it makes sense but, the, but mechanically they have this immunity what is it about the the crossbow bolt that is specifically uh vulnerable to them um it's like the vampire stake right it's just the thing that sort of trickled down through myth and lore um uh all 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 sort of monsters of that nature have the vice the thing that's going to cripple them right um, and that's that's its thing. But it's not an arrow up from a bow it must be a crossbow bolt. In first edition it was a, it was strictly a crossbow bolt. Um it has evolved to be basically any projectile, any weapon, magical projectile, blessed projectile, wooden, typically thing. Um, Got it. And and the slight and the effects of that arrow are slightly different. Like in some editions, it may not be instantly lethal, but debilitating things mm-hmm. like that. But that's the thing that really sort of gets the edge over the creature, right? And they all are spellcasters as well. Right? That's the other thing about Rakshasas is they are considered masters of illusion, mm. and so. When they show up in adventures, as one of them did even in Ravenloft, 
they are always putting their illusion, illusory powers to work. And so they will appear to you in the guise of something else. You almost never see a rakshasa in its true form unless you catch it by surprise. Right. Yes, which I love. I love that idea that they're, I mean, it's like a, that doppelganger yeah. idea that like anybody Correct. you meet. But unlike a doppelganger, which is actually transforming itself physically yeah. into a creature, a rakshasa isn't transforming. It is merely putting an illusion of somebody else over itself. So if you were to reach out and touch it, you would feel that it is not what it appears to be. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And so shaking a hand or something like that. Right. Tricky. Yes. The rakshasa would have to kind of do this. Oh. To shake your hand, which would be weird. It, yeah, so it must feel yeah. weird. Okay, that's an important detail. Yeah. As I'm playing, uh, or I'm running a Dragon Heist uh, campaign uh, in Troll Skull Alley, so okay. I'm like, how, do I, how yes. do I show things that are unsettling without giving away the game? Right. Yeah, yes. so that's one way you could do that. Yeah, all right, good, good, good to know. Yeah. Uh, so, and they're also not just illusion magic, but they also uh, cast spells somewhat innately, mm-hmm. uh, offensively, through, yes. right? Yeah, they, they, most of their power is probably in their spell casting. Yeah. Um, yeah, and the good thing is, if you're an if you're a DM, and and you think about it, you could customize that spell list and create rakshasas that favor that have different innate spells than the ones that are actually listed. And that I know sense. people who have done that, and that's totally cool. Um, and because they're fiends, they're very comfortable on other planes. Yes, yeah, they gravitate to the lower planes, obviously, uh, because they're super smart. They're good at they they like to hang around devils mm-hmm. uh, and make deals and all that kind of stuff. When you kill them, they go back to the nine hells and reform. Even though they're not devils. Correct. Mm. Yes. So they get... uh, Reincarnation is a big thing in a lot of Eastern cultures of our world. Yes. And the Rakshasas sort of fall into that, that they do have this sort of reincarnation thing where they just keep coming back and coming back. So a Rakshasa whom you killed might return to haunt your grandchildren. It's that idea of there, there be, it being a familial bond that exactly. is constantly being... Yeah, oh, and they, got- never, they, they hold a grudge and um, are patient. So you... Vengeful? Vengeful, yes, but smart. Mm. You know, they won't throw themselves wildly into a situation where they're overmatched. Very crafty. Among the craftier, more um, sort of flexible villains, monster villains you could hope to meet. Yeah. And yeah. they are generally neutral evil, is that right? Or are they? Uh, I think they're lawful evil. Lawful evil. So yeah. that's why they enjoy yeah. the devils and the contracts and things like that. Yeah. Uh, all right, that makes sense. Um, but they all aren't necessarily um, adversaries. Correct, because rakshasas think about big picture. They live forever. Yeah. They're basically immortal. Um, and so, if someone can help them today, they're not going to just not think about that based on who they're dealing with. Mm-hmm. They don't care if they're making a deal with a devil or a paladin, frankly. Yeah. As long as they're getting their long-term plans and needs satisfied, they'll deal with anybody. Uh, and so they can seem quite benign. Mm-hmm. And the na- because they're smart and there's, they, they're confident in their own powers, they don't, think they, they don't have anything to prove. Right. And if they're hungry, they'll just you know eat something that's easy to kill and not risk their very existence and their future plans on, you know, picking on the guy in plate armor or the, the wizard with the staff of the magi. Yeah, they'll use them against them to further their own ends. Right, right. yes. Um, and because they have illusion magic and are very deceptive mm-hmm. and, and very but intelligent. Even when, even when they're caught and revealed for what they are, they'll try to turn it around and saying, yeah, I know you, I deceived you, but... Let's put that behind us. Let's think about the future together. That yeah. kind of thing. What can I do for you? Exactly. Right. 
Interesting. All right, well, let's uh, move on to Night Hags. Night Hags, uh, favorite monster of a number of folks in-house. Yes. Jeremy Crawford among them, who has brought the Night Hag Mad Maggie from Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus to life recently. Yes, that was awesome. Yes. So Night Hags are in the family of hags, but unusual because they are the only hags that are fiends Mm -hmm. as opposed to fae. And that largely stems from the fact that they are denizens of the lower planes. Uh, They favor the neutral evil planes. Uh, Hades is a favorite hangout for them. They like the gloom. (laughs) Like Uh, they just chill. Yeah, exactly. So hags being what they are, uh, evil to the core, possibly some of the most evil creatures in the D&D multiverse. Mm -hmm. They delight in turning the beautiful into the ugly, into turning the happy into the miserable. Um, And in Nighthag's case, turning the evil into larvae. Larvae of what? So a larva is a, in D&D, isn't just like a maggot or something like that. It is a monster. It is a type of monster. Mm -hmm. It is the reduction of a human soul into the body of a four or five foot long maggot with with the face of the person it once was. That's sort of twisted and evil and drooling and corrupted. Four or five, it's about as long as this table. Correct. It's a squirming whitish yellow maggot with their former face attached to it. And what a larva is to a night hag is treasure. Uh, Because larvae can be used to create all sorts of evil artifacts and things, including liches phylacteries Mm. and uh, demon warding talismans and other things. You can basically reduce them down Put their magic, put put what the, put their essence into a magic item and empower it indefinitely. And so they they corrupt humans. They then capture their souls in a soul bag to take to Hades to be turned into larvae. Mm-hmm. And then the larvae they sell, basically like on a stand at a at a bazaar somewhere in the lower plains. Get your turkey legs. Get your turkey here. legs here. Get your larvae. Make your own phylactery. So are they yeah. like the monster version of a soul coin? A little bit. Yeah, and they're all about deals, as many hags are, contracts, as yeah. many hags are. That's uh, and, a theme. Yeah, and so <laughs> they are unpleasant because you know, as soon as you start to enter a deal with a night hag, you're already on a slippery slope. Yeah. And, and things are only going to go downhill from there. Right. But people do it out of desperation or because they're too evil and too self-centered to care or believe that they could suffer any possible or they think they're somehow going to get the best of the Yeah, or they're going to get the best somehow. of the hag and all that. Um, but the hag, now night hags are, are unique among hags because they do have some unique thing, magic items that no other hags have. I mentioned the soul bag, yeah. which is this black sack where they you know, shove souls in to carry around with them. When they, and the souls, is it they actually just put people in yeah. and their souls is what's, what's in yeah. there? Yeah, or they put their larva that they farm in, their, in these big sacks, like a Santa sack, and pff, sling it over their shoulder and march through town. Is it an actual, uh, um, like a bag of holding, like where it's in uh, space in there? Uh, it's not really extra dimensional, but we've sort of defined it as kind of a stretchy bag. That can uh, fit multiple larvae yeah. in there. So it's as big as the hag needs it to be. Got it. Really. Um, so if you want a big Santa sack... Slung over your hag's back, that's fine. If you want it more of a small... with maggots? Yeah. Ugh. If you just want it to be more of a small little bag with the souls just as ephemeral spirits trapped inside them, you can vision it that way. Got it. Uh, we, we have never actually... We very rarely have ever shown a bag um, of that nature before, which makes which begs, begs me now to think about maybe doing that. We got to get some concept illustrations yes. making that thing happen. The other item that a hag has, very important... Um, to her and her potential security is a heart stone. Ah. It's a black gemstone that she has to fashion herself 
and it is the device that allows her to turn ethereal, which is something that night hags do and other hags generally don't, is they walk the ethereal plane. And they mm-hmm. do that to avoid contact with people they don't want to talk to, um, but also to surprise people in the middle of the night. Um, they'll, they'll phase out of the ethereal plane while you're sleeping and ride you. Mm. Like those old paintings you see of, you know, witchy, witchy crones riding sleeping people in their beds. Yeah, and then that... that and that's, what, that's a nightmare haunting thing that they do. While you're sleeping, they're basically infecting you with dreadful nightmares that leave you exhausted and tired and ripe for bad decision making and uh, <laughs> cutting deals and all the rest of it. So, And there, I mean, there's a lot of uh, paranormal things in our own world that are explained away by night terrors and yes. things that, that, you know, in medieval times or times before there was enough science to understand these things where mm-hmm. there was no explanation for why someone could be in a semi-dreamlike state right. but feel paralyzed and unable yes. to move. And their yes. conception of this was a hag holding down their arms and doing this to them. Precisely. And that's essentially the function that the night hag serves. That's, we have taken that mythology and embodied it in this creature. Yeah. It also uh, embodies things like you know the, the, the witch scares of Eastern America where men would say that you know, these witches would come to them in the night and in various forms and you know, do, do things, things to them. <laughs> yes. uh, things like that. that. That is also sort of what the night hag encompasses. So right. very dark. It is very dark as well as like the taking of, of, yes. of, of something without permission. Correct. Right. Correct. And if you've read Volo's Guide to Monsters, you know the other thing about hags, uh, night hags included, and that's how they propagate. And we've actually talked about this in a previous lore, so I won't we go have. into too much. But th- the way a hag creates another hag is to abduct a child and uh, basically trans... Or, um, and then... Uh, um, abduct a child, an unborn child and then give birth to it themselves. Right. And then this changeling is then delivered back to its earthly mother. Mother's oblivious. Right. It just raises looks- the child as a girl until the girl turns of an age when right. she, her powers start to manifest and then hag qualities start to set in and then the hag comes back and takes her away. If you want to uh, see a version of this story being told, watch Deborah Ann Wall's yes. uh, adventure from the stream of many eyes. Yes. Uh, Briar Cleft uh, Manor, mm-hmm. I believe it was called. So, yeah. yes, uh, uh, very interesting. And that, but Night Hags has to do that as well, right? The, yes, that's, that's how yeah, they, they propagate yeah, themselves exactly. as well. They do, and that's if if they want to make their own coven, they often make right. it out of daughters that they've um, seized from mortals. And what is it about the Heartstone? Is is there? Is it like a phylactery? Uh, no, it's it's just it's literally a talisman. Um, it's just this black gem that is the is the thing that the Hag must have to transit. From one plane to the ethereal plane. And oh, that's what again. they use to phase. Yes, got it. Okay. Without the gem, they can't phase to the ethereal plane, which is their their go to escape if things go awry. So that's one way for if you're an adventuring party dealing with with a, a night hag is to destroy the heartstone, correct? And then it's trapped on this yes. plane, and then you, you'll yes, more yeah, be able to yeah. trap it down. All right, that makes sense. Now, right. in terms of lore, we've got a number of hags that have shown up over the books, but the most recent one we mentioned at the start, Mad Maggie. Yes. She lives in Avernus, as some hags do, um, in the wastelands and is one of the marauding warlords who ride around on infernal war machines. And she's got an entire war band to back her up and a garage where she builds and repairs war machines. And she's not sane. She's not sane. She's got a fiendish flesh golem who's quite nice named Mickey. 
and a pair of imp companions named Pins and Needles, and then a cadre of other manic and macabre creatures. Excellent. Uh, so uh, the final uh, other planar being we want to talk about was the succubus slash incubus. Succubus slash incubus, which is got a fascinating history through D&D. Um, in the first edition monster manuals where succubi first showed up and incubi were mentioned in the entry mm-hmm. but never really shown. Right. We just we were just told, oh, there are male versions of succubi around. Same stats, but and if you saw the illustration and you were a twelve year old boy or whatever, <laughs> you probably have that burned into your mind. Yes. Because it was a very scantily clad image, a very um, delicately positioned, uh, shall we say, <laughs> by the artist who, who created it. Right. Uh, but the idea of the succubus, the seducer, is another mythological creature that D&D just sort of picked up and brought to life. Yeah. D&D didn't invent succubi. They've been around for a They've long time. They've been around a long time. Right, so it was taking that idea. Exactly. And so here is this creature, and it was, one, it was a demon. It was a chaotic, evil demon. Mm-hmm. It was a type of demon. And so it came out of the abyss. Uh, and there it remained until... Uh, I believe it was 4th edition when succubi were made into devils. The reason being that uh, the abyss was being more and more painted like a place where all sorts of chaotic monsters lived. There there was no sort of unifying element of what a demon could be. They they could be anything. But devils were very much humanoid, Mm -hmm. often bat-winged, with horns, and a propensity for seduction or corruption. Which sounds which like the is exactly what the succubus sort of, that's its oeuvre. Yeah. And so they got sucked into being devils instead, which was a major change. And I'm not sure, not everybody were, were ready for that kind of magnitude of change in such a creature that gets a lot of play. Yeah. Uh, but it fit. And I think people started to come around. When 5th edition rolled around, we had a tough choice. Because our normal fish tradition philosophy is if a creature was something for most of the game's history, we would put that back where it was yeah. and, make, and sort of go that way. It's unusual since the succubus was only a devil for a relatively short amount of time in D&D's history. Yeah. The, the urge would have been to make it a demon again. But we thought given its propensity for seduction, given its propensity for corruption, that it's it still it, – Demon didn't feel quite right. So Mm. what we decided to instead do was say they play both sides. Mm. Um, They're neither demons nor devils per se. They are a strange fiend. And uh, you can find them in any of the lower planes, the abyss, nine hells, wherever. Mm -hmm. And we also um, wanted to make sure that the incubus got equal time and, and paint the impression that it's not succubus, incubus. It's Succubi and incubi, equal numbers throughout the cosmos. Right. And you can use both freely. And uh, so the, the question I have about that is Grast, the demon lord of yes. suggest, su- seduction, yes. or, or at least you know, copulation, <laughs> right. uh, yeah. seems to fit that the most uh, incubi or succubi would be. And, and in, his- in fact, yes, his court is, probably has more, uh, uh, more of those creatures than any other evil entity in the cosmos. Right. Uh, they gravitate toward him greatly. And, but there are other demon lords that have succubi and incubi as well, like Malkinthet, for, I can think of, for, for example. She's sure. a succubus queen, basically. Uh, but, yes, and, and the story of Grast, as he's been sort of recast over the years, 
has made that possible by saying he was originally a devil, mm. but he was a devil who was sent to bring order to the abyss and decided, you know what? Screw I like it. it. I like it. <laughs> I like it down here. Yeah. yeah. There's, I'm there's... going to carve out a domain for myself, and I'm never going to get one in the nine hells. So, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Right. I didn't realize that it's, uh, it's uh, almost yeah. a very similar story to uh, what's going on with Baldur's Gate, Descent into Avernus with mm. uh, the, the... Yeah, in some, re- in some respects, he's an interesting um, foil. counterpoint or foil to her. Her going into hell to set things right and end the blood war and bring the, the wrath of good down upon the heads of evil. Yeah. Him going from one evil place to another evil place to bring that in line, to tame that chaos and realizing he's kind of got a little bit of the chaos in himself and right. he can make a home there. I'm ride the chaos. There is a similarity. I hadn't really think, thought about that before, but you're, you're absolutely right. I These like that. These two are very alike. Um, uh, so that's Zeriel is the celestial who went down and is in uh, Avernus now. She rules the first layer of Avernus. Exactly. Uh, and so, yeah. Uh, so the, um, are there devils who employ uh, incubi or succubi? Frequently, yes, because... The wonderful thing about uh, succubi and incubi is they're shape changers. Mm-hmm. So they can assume the form of people and insinuate themselves into pretty much anywhere. Their charisma makes them easy to like. And so they can get, you know, they might be the person standing next to the king. Uh, there is a succubus who currently rules the town of Daggerford uh, ne- near Waterdeep. Wow. Nobody knows that. Uh, but uh, she's basically taken charge there and everybody thinks she's just a human. When, uh, where is that dramatized? That is dramatized in an adventure called Ghosts of Dragon Spear Castle, which mm. we released between fourth and fifth editions. Ah, that makes sense. To, yeah, to try to. Uh, so that's still that's still hanging out there, and uh, so they can show up anywhere. Uh, among their, in addition to their shape changing abilities, as we know, succubi have their kiss, mm. and incubi have their kiss. It is what they lay on you to basically stupefy you and turn you into a thrall. It becomes a, uh, a a charm, or is it more? It it's a it's a now you do what I say kind of thing. I see. I've tricked you, and 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 actually, it's it's, it's painful. You take damage from it. You could die from a succubus's kiss before you ever get a chance to serve it. I see. If you're too weak, I, uh, that's no kiss of no. death. Right. Yeah. Um, are are all humanoids susceptible to that? I believe so. Yeah. Mm. Um. So, just the trick is don't kiss anybody ever <laughs> in D and D. It's just a good good policy. Oh, but there, there's so many know. stories that won't get told. We were talking about Ak Inker earlier, and that was yes. one of the favorite favorite moments for fans is when Jim Dark Magic and uh, Succubus had a nice big sweet kiss. They sure did. Yeah, uh-huh. that didn't end well for Jim. <laughs> I think he died. Well, pretty close to died. Right. Yeah. That's a lot of damage. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, so if you're if you're playing any one of these uh, uh, fiends or using them in your in your game, uh, you know we've already gone through the kind of their abilities, the, the, but. the through line here is uh, guile, and uh, all of them have that in abundance. Yeah, it's just what flavor of guile do you want, and how to dramatize those is uh, always a fun yes. exercise. Just remember, they're all terrible at heart, the worst of the worst. So use your use your evil skills yes. uh, to portray them. Anything the right they way. say that even strikes you as remotely philanthropic is all right. BS. But because they're such wonderful deceivers, yes. you don't know that. You know the power in these creatures comes when the player characters don't know what they're dealing with. Right. Yes. 
Yeah, there there are surprises. Yeah, they all take on other forms. They all hide their true selves. Yeah, and, and they're they're comfortable on the material plane as well as uh, they're comfortable in their skin and yours. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like that's a, a horrible place to end, but I think that's where we're going to do it. Uh, thank you, Chris, for for all that. Uh, how can people get in touch with you to ask you more about uh, your your evil skin? I am on my evil skin. I'm on Twitter <laughs> at Chris Perkins DND. Excellent. Uh, thank you so much. We'll be back with some more segments next week. I know a lot about the lore topic that we just discussed now. Me too. It is all in my brain. I will impress everyone I know. At parties. And say, did you know this lore? I know it now. Thanks for sharing. It is about the Dungeons and the Dragons. Which is awesome dinner party conversation. It's true. Now that we have the D&D Essentials Kit available in Target stores. That everybody can get their hands on. It is basically made for folks at dinner parties to be like, oh, you haven't played D&D? Here is the product that you need to get into it. Let's do this. Right. That's how you do it. It's uh, a very player-focused box set. If the starter set is a little bit more DM-focused to teaching DMs how to run their first adventure, uh, the Essentials Kit has everything you need uh, to learn how to uh, make your first character. The cards in there are all about um, discovering ways to... uh, uh, how the combat works and how the mechanics works, as well as sidekicks, uh, which allow for a Dungeon Master to play one-on-one with just one player uh, and fill out their party with sidekicks. That's awesome. Yeah. Yes. I love all that. I love those rules. I think more people uh, would want to jump into it and try it. Um, One-on-one. One-on-one. Yeah, exactly. Why not? A lot of times that's what people say. The reason why they're not playing D&D is because they can't find a group. Exactly. But you really need one person. That's all you need. Yeah. And then you can grow from there and be like, oh, I'm having so much fun. Do you want to have fun with our group? And then you're just adding on to it. D&D, party of one. But party of... 17 is Could also be. possible once yeah. you grow and make options. people happening. We're all about options. <laughs> we like to provide Flavor different flavors and options. And options. <laughs> it's true. We've got an entire menu of choices. Yes. Yes, exactly. Something for everyone. Uh, I am excited to get into our interview. You want to... Me uh, too. Let's, uh, let's get Amorette here in the studio and we will start talking about all the amazing stuff she does. Okay. Let's make it happen. Bing bong. Bing bong. <laughs> We have Amaret Terrell with us. Hello. Yay, Amaret. Yeah. Studio oh audience like loves you. Birthday party. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so excited. We have cupcakes. Oh, wait. No, we don't oh, have cupcakes. I I know. There's pizza downstairs. That, that counts. That totally counts. What are we doing up here? Are they doing like a pre-release or something? There must be some magic event. (laughs) Magic and their pizza. They always have so much fun. They always have pizza. Well, we're excited that you came all the way from Salem. I'm glad to be here. In Massachusetts, right? (laughs) So, Oregon. (laughs) Where the witches? Nah. (sighs) Oh, still cool. (laughs) There's plenty of witches in Salem. Oregon. I guess that's true. Yeah. There's witches everywhere. (laughs) I'm in in a coven. Oh, of course. Yeah. What do you do in the coven? We just chat. <laughs> Make up cakes. Chat coven. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Coven Talk. <laughs> <laughs> yes. There's an idea. That's it. I actually love that idea. Let's do it. And I'm like, I am, don't know if I can do this interview because I am mesmerized by your eye makeup. Ah, thank you. That's so cool. <laughs> it's very sparkly. Sparkly. Yeah. Anyway. I love the part. I love the sparkly. It, it's torn pixie for a reason because the sparkly flying things. What's the torn part? <laughs> Um, it makes me a little sad. I'm not going to lie. A torn when, pixie. 
When I first started illustrating uh, Fae Folk, I really was drawn to the idea of pixies having really torn up, shredded wings as they've been in battle. So it's like, and it's just, I've never quite gotten it down the way I wanted until recently far as an illustration itself, but it was just, hey, this would look cool. It would. And it sounds cool. Yeah, because you usually picture pixies or fairies as like picturesque and like they they can't do anything wrong but right there is if they were in battle if they were fighting they would have they would have scars like anybody else yeah well and if if you really study fey creatures you get to know that they aren't sweet wholesome creatures none of them are yeah there's you know and it's not so much a duality of good versus bad so much as it is a range like i don't really believe in alignments as alignments it's more of a scale what's right is right based on field of view. Yeah. So. Well, and the Feywild and, and, and is never is not inherently evil or good. It's mm-hmm. just different and fey. Yeah. For lack of a better word, right? Yeah. So where do you stand? This is, this is getting down to the brass tacks right away. Whoa. Where do you stand on Secret of the Wings uh, as far as fairy goes for the Tinkerbell movie? Do you never watch the Tinkerbell movies? All right. I've got five-year-olds. I've seen one or two. Yeah, I figured you had. Uh, so they had, there was a whole thing with torn wings in that and how they can't fly anymore. <gasps> yeah, no, they can still fly. The wings are, they're, they're for looks. Yeah. That's not where the flight comes from. Right, because it's so. the pixie dust. Well, it, it's not even the dust. It's it's the energy. Right. It's, you know. I know nothing about pixies. I'm, <laughs> what do you mean? The wings are just aesthetics? It's just yeah. an accessory? Yep. Um. And I don't like the message that Tinkerbell is sending that if you have something, you're damaged, so now you can't do the yeah. one thing that, like, totally not true. Come on. Oh, well. Fix it. I, I'm, Change it, Tinkerbell. That's not what the message is of, of that thing. It just one, it's at the end of, of one long event. She does it to save her whole world. Uh, she keeps flying through the cold, which is why her wing gets torn. Okay. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't necessarily do that, though. <laughs> And then, and then her sister, who has the matching wing pattern, puts their wings together, and then they magically get healed at the end. Spoiler uh, alert for Secret uh, of the Wings. Uh, <laughs> Great, Tito. I, I just love those movies, though, because uh, did you at cry? Least, did you cry? Uh, when several times. Yeah. yeah, I cry a lot during those those, those Tinkerbell I, movies. I love that about you. <laughs> Most sensitive. young people I know that have that have watched that movie haven't been upset about it being spoiled. They're kind of like really anxious. Does this get fixed, or is she like? forever not flying anymore so that is that is very true the the, the whole uh idea of a spoiler is anathema to a five-year-old because right. they, once they watch the movie they want to watch it again immediately yeah right and it's just almost new again to exactly them. it's true two uh, seconds later <laughs> so they don't get that is not how pixies fly wings no this is like mind-blowing it, it, it's more of a spiritual energy type thing um appearance can change uh drop of, the, of a thought too i mean on that it's it's kind of like the Eldrin, like with a lot of the race, the Fey races in D and D. You see bits and pieces of stuff from various Fey lore, and you can really actually put it all together and put a single th- being together. That's so just cool. from the pieces. Have you always been fascinated with uh, with the Fey? Yeah. What was it about about them that the drew to them? The otherness, you know, the fact that they could be anything at any time, really, mm. and just whenever they decided. Or whenever they felt it, or just—you mean like through illusion and how they 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 project themselves, like that type of thing? Yeah, yeah, so. that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. And you've draw, you've drawn them a lot. You've done a lot of artwork with them. I've I've done a bit. I don't have anything 
within the last couple of years, I've been focusing a little bit more towards regular humanoid type <laughs> and uh, had my own struggles there. <laughs> yeah. What came first, though, your, your love of pixies and they, well, pixies or D&D? Uh, I would say face stuff first. And then when you discovered D&D, was it like, oh, my God. There's, it was. I desperately, they're here, too. <laughs> yeah, well, it was I desperately have to play, and the first character I rolled together was a high elf ranger, but I did not get to pay, play for nearly 20 years after that. Oh, wow. Well, let's talk about this. Yeah. Your first foray into D&D. So that was, the first one I rolled up was in high school, and it was at my best friend's house. And her brother was going to DM, and we had a group together, and we spent a good three nights doing character creation. Oh, wow. And set a, up a date to play. And it never happened. Oh, oh no. Why? Like, you made me write, like, this, t- like, he, the reason it took so long was there was this requirement on this huge backstory. So we've spent all this investment, and it was because his best friend had to, like, move suddenly. And so he was oh. like, no, I'm not in for it now. And it's like, oh, Aww. okay. Oh, no. Do you still have the character sheet, though? <laughs> no, I've moved so much. <laughs> so what did you do with, so that character, you just built this character and then never, never got, to, got play to play it? it. Yep. Um, well, tell, we've, I feel like we owe it to this character to talk about her or him or. You know, I don't even remember anything about him other than. Most likely, he was very, pretty much Legolas, if I remember correctly. Okay. Mm. I feel like that's true of a lot of people's first D&D character. Right. Yeah. They, take, they pick an archetype and yep. go with it. Mine yep. was also a, a, I think, half-elf ranger. Yep. That was kind of my go-to because of uh, tennis half-elven as well as the, the whole ranger thing I was always yep. fascinated with. They're fun. Yeah. They're fun. Um, when I finally got around to my first game, it was... Uh, about five years ago, so shortly after 5e actually released. And my first one was a half-elf druid that I have affectionately started calling my disaster druid because she <laughs> was a disaster. And some of it was on me and not understanding how to roll stuff out. I leveled horrible my first, horribly my first six levels because I didn't get the math. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, she Pre- was D&D awesome. d Beyond. Yes. Yeah. Yes, well, exactly. She, she was awesome, though. Because uh, third session in, and a few people may have heard this story, we go to this pl- She meets this sweet old lady druid and follows her back to her cave that is littered with skulls. Littered with skulls. Such a this happy, is, nice this druid sweet lady. sweet yeah. old lady druid. It's a design choice. And she asks my character, Argwen, to help her get this potion to this water source. It was very, very vitally important to the point where she was going to send her own familiar along with Mm. just to make sure I got the right water source. Wow. Well, a clearly not a druid, but a necromancer. (laughs) This water source was the Fountain of Youth. Oh. Of which my character, of course, did put that potion in completely disrupting the balance of good and evil and killing an entire civilization in one go. What? It really is a disaster druid. Yes, yes. I love her. (laughs) Was this this like a kickoff event or was this like already like a couple years into a campaign? No, this was third session in and I don't think the DM was prepared for any of it. (laughs) Wow. That's some improvisational chops right there. Yeah. Um, So 
we have all that happen. The the other thing, and it's 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 head cannon for her now. She was Circle of the Moon, so her big thing is she wild shapes. But in her background, she had wander, wanderlust at age seven. Basically, raised herself. Got addicted to mushrooms. Like Shelly. It can happen. So <laughs> when your when your Circle of the Moon druid. Is constantly in an altered state of mind. Wow. Maybe during combat is not the time to wild shape because that poor animal cannot handle oh my that God. stuff in its blood system. I nat wand every roll if I wild shaped. It, it's weird. It's the weirdest what, thing. What? Like, were you have? Did you have disadvantage? Like, how does? No, I just, just like failed. really like the the dice were just die. Would do it. Like, unlucky. I could have advantage, and the DM occasionally was like, "No, roll that again." No, roll that again. He checked the balance of my dice even. Had me try other people's dice. No. Really? Wow. There's it was because of the potion. Going on. Yeah. It's it because of the potion that you threw in there. How do you, you play a character cursed. that's addicted to mushroom? Like, do you have to, like, actually, like, alter your stats in some way? I don't think just, I needed to. It just... You just had the, some the, crazy the die, dice. The die did it for me. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, that makes sense. all right, you said this, and I don't know why, but you said this... So this is what's going to happen. Nice. So, I, I, I fully believe dice can tell the story all on their own. Yes. Um, but dice had a story to tell. And to role play it out as well. Yeah. Being like, oh, yeah, I need to get the, ne- the next mushroom fix. Yeah. Well, and there was the whole poor creature that everyone's in combat. And here Arguin is as a bear rolling around on the ground drooling. Aww. Aww. So cute, though. Yeah. You just yeah. want to kind of play with that bear. Yeah, you rarely took damage. It wasn't a problem. <laughs> tweaking, <laughs> tweaking bear. So yeah. You go play with that bear. Oh, little tweaky yeah. bear. Oh, tweaky so. bear. <laughs> she, she was sweet. She was sweet. That so. is pretty awesome. I do like playing characters that have uh, not necessarily like addictions, but like uh, habits, you know, because yeah. it ends up being uh, a, a nice affectation to do. I had one that was always uh, a, uh, um, a fire sorcerer, essentially, who uh, as part of their worship of their fire god, they would smoke uh, basically pot, but it was something else in in uh, the canon, and so that was like my my punchline. That like any joke was like, oh well, I don't care. I'm just gonna. And did you role play that? Not really. No, it was more of like affect, like smoking a like smoking a pipe in in like a character would do like a Sherlock Holmes or something like that. I kind of just did it like as a, as a way to, to uh, get through social situations and like that. But I didn't act play like I'm so hungry. Where are the cops? <laughs> 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 the cops give me some Cheetos. Uh, Are Cheetos in this world? <laughs> I don't know what this thing is, but I'm seeing Cheetos. These orange puffy goodness. I want to patent them. Uh, what? But I'm now. I'm curious about playing these characters that are like. What if your character goes to a tavern and gets drunk? Like how, that would affect you. And then, if, especially if you had to go into combat or needed your reflexes. So, mm-hmm. what would you just like? Make the if you were the DM, make the character roll with disadvantage or actually like, I don't know. I think disadvantage kinda, is, a, is a good way to do it. Well, how would you do it? I usually have them do a constitution roll to determine if they are actually affected by it first. Oh. And then if they're not, then it's like, all right, you would roll normally. But if you are affected, yeah, it's roll disadvantage. Okay. So. Could be like, it was just oregano. <laughs> <laughs> or it was just a... It was just a punk lot. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It happens. Bad batch. Pacific Northwest. We yep. know it. We know it to be true. <laughs> <laughs> 
You could also do exhaustion, I think. You know, if if you if it was like a long bender or something like that, you could yeah. be like, all right, oh, yeah. now you have a few levels of exhaustion. Oh yeah, that kind of or make them play with a hangover. <laughs> and they would just have disadvantage on everything yeah. for a, a long time. That's pretty much all your characters. At my age, disadvantage lasts like days. <laughs> you can't shake those things anymore. It's true. It's yeah. true. And so as, you get, as your character gets older, you have yes. to start to model that. Yeah. 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 No, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. It's a fantasy <laughs> game. I can do anything. anything I can fly. I Even with torn wings. Yeah, nice. Apparently I don't need them. Um, so this character sounds sounds awesome, even though she was a disaster druid. Uh, have you, you know, continued to play with that character? Um, we played for a good two and a half years. Wow! Before the campaign got broken. Uh oh! Did disaster druid break the campaign? Nope. Uh, we had a point where we swelled to twenty one players. Twenty one players. It was and why not? What? Uh, let's say it wasn't the funnest at that point because, of course, you had to be prepared with what you were going to do in combat. Right. Oh, took ages. But, I mean, at the time, we were usually going eight, nine hours anyways. Whoa. Right. So tell me about these sessions. How did, how did it get to 21 players? Yeah. In, in My DM just wanted there. to play with all of his friends. And that was insane. Instead of running mm-hmm. multiple games, he was like, I'm, he or she? Your DM. He, He's it, just like, come yeah. on, join this game. Yeah. And, okay. uh, I mean, it, it was great. But the one that really, really ruined it was the night one of the players used their wish to get the deck of many things. Oh, dear. And they pulled another wish, and they wished for two more decks for two more players. Oh, so then it just became 21 people playing this crazy game of Russian D&D roulette. Yeah, well, it got what really did it was the level disparity between the different... Mm. Uh, characters because where we ended, most of the characters are level eleven, but one of the ones that ended up with the deck of many really was past level twenty. Wow, which doesn't exist. There's nothing there. So there's this issue of reconciling that. There's the fact that time has passed and a lot of players aren't available, and some of the characters were tied together. My character's tied to one of the players that's no longer there. If that character's not there. Uh-oh. My character dies. Oh. Yeah, because they are that tied together. And it's like, no. Oh, my God. Like, I figured out a way that we could go forward, but it's still working out the rest of it. Because she's a druid, cannibalism is a thing. And I was like, let's take some of the spiritual elements of this. She'll cannibalize her sister and, <laughs> and absorb her spirit energy so that she doesn't die. So, And, that, and that's and the end of the that? campaign? <laughs> That's not end of the campaign. That's just this is how we're able to go forward. But after that, figuring out everyone else's stuff, the huge level disparity and everything. I right. Mean, it's. <laughs> it does seem like a hey, let's let's reset this with you know five or six players yeah. maximum, and then yeah. yeah, do what Shelley was saying. Have different groups rather than thing because we've we've heard from people who have you know twenty one players is a lot of players, but you can split that up into like you know three yeah. or four yeah. groups. And then have them all be in the same world and have them all interact with what's happening on yeah. the meta level. Uh, maybe even have players, you know, swap nights yeah, and things like really that. Cool. And that yeah. would be really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, 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 we'll see what happens. Food then. for thought for that dungeon master. Uh, is that a pun? <laughs> yes. It's cannibalism. <laughs> cannibalism pun for, for y'all. Food for thought for disaster druid. <laughs> <laughs> but you're also a dungeon master. Yes. Okay, so who was the one who prophesied? You will be a DM one day. Uh, that same DM. 
at our first session when I insisted on having access to the Dungeons Master's Guide because I needed to understand everything before I played. And yeah. And did you? Did you get the? Did you read through it? And I read get through a sense? it and you made did? a lot of mistakes for a long time. Um, I pushed really heavily onto, hey, when are we doing planar travel? When are we doing planar travel? Can we go to the Feywilds? Can we go to the Shadow Realm? Ooh, can we go to all these other different places? Uh, we did eventually go to City of Brass, and that was terrifying. <laughs> oh, wow. So. Yeah. But that's really exciting that you were able to like see. I mean, because that's why the Dungeon Master's Guide, I think, is uh, so awesome, is that it gives that inspiration to, to travel to, to yeah. things that are outside of what you may think of as yeah. the normal D&D story. And you of, can play that into your character. And you can, I mean, your character could just be a knowledgeable character that loves to travel, that has that crazy things happen with altered state of mind. Yeah, <laughs> That's so, right. Oh, You're you like, go. maybe I'm on this other plane, but yep. I don't even know it. I don't know, yeah. but I want to go back. <laughs> yeah. Horizon Walker. Got to get one of those characters who is all about planar travel between different areas and, and have that be the campaign. Yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, when the, you kept on telling your dungeon master, I want to go there, did you just be like, all right, I'm just going to make my own campaign and take my players there? No. Um, it wasn't until about six months ago I started DMing myself. And it's in a homebrew world, which uh, there's actually a magic mechanic I'm playing with that we're almost there, but I'm still not quite happy with. So it's a low magic world? It's a chaos magic world. Oh. Um, so then... The initial way it works, which is one of the things that makes it kind of awkward and it's hard to play at a physical table, is you roll a d30 mm. to figure out where on the scale it falls, and then you roll a d4 to determine the severity of where oh, it I falls see. on the good neutral grate. Well, not good. The oh no. <laughs> <laughs> um, worst thing that happens is you open up a portal and draw a random creature in from anywhere. <gasps> what? Yeah. And this is anytime you cast a spell? Anytime you cast a spell that is not either inherently a class thing. So basically, if it is not a level one spell, you've got a problem. Mm. If it's level one or above, you've got a problem. If it's a cantrip or something you get as a racial bonus, you're fine because it's inherent. It just happens for you. Got it. So, so you then if a player cast a spell above level one and they're going to basically pull in a, a random creature? Depending on what the, d- the, the, d- the die roll would be. Mm-hmm. So how do you determine what the creature is? That is up to the DM on that one. You, um, has it happened? Yeah, has it it has. We've had a couple of abyssal creatures come in. Nice. <laughs> Terrifying. What do they do when they come in? Are they just like, oh. Some of them are really attackative. Oh. And others just kind of wander off. It really depends Is that also on the to temperament. DM? Yeah. yeah. Um, depends on if they're on mushrooms. Kind of making DMing sound really fun, I got to admit. It's chaos. Only six months ago when she took the lead. Yeah, but she was a born DM. She wanted <laughs> her hands on that book. <laughs> you don't want your hands on that book? Yeah. <laughs> It, 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 it's got I'm some good. really good lore bits. It does. Yes. I actually have read through this the 5th edition DMG because I love tables. Tables are awesome. Yep. yep. <laughs> love this table. <laughs> <laughs> it's holding my water. So you're, uh, in addition to all of the, uh, the TRPGs that you're playing, you're also an artist. Yes. And uh, do you do digital art, physical art? Um, 
I don't do as much physical art as I used to. I do do a lot of digital. Um, a friend of mine gifted me a tablet about a year back, and I started doing digital then. And boy, so much better than... Well, I'd done it before, but it wasn't the same because mouse and keyboard digital art is... It's hard. Mm. It is so hard. So. Yeah, you got to have the, 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 the Wacom thing, is that what they're called? Um, you can have a Wacom. I personally use an XP pen, mm. um, which is a lot more affordable. Right, and that's where you can use a tablet to, yeah, to a do tablet. stuff, right? Yeah. Oh, that's pretty cool. That is cool. What kind of stuff are you making? Um, I largely do character art. I do some environmental, um, and then I do graphics for other streamers a lot, too. Character yeah. art, like, by commission, or uh, just... On what? the rare commission, but other times it's just, hey, I felt like doing this oh, character. Yeah. Cool. Um, what, what, uh, what's been the thing you're most proud of recently? Uh, illustration of one of my other characters, uh, Jean-Luc Chandra, which was from one of the other campaigns with this same first DM I had, mm-hmm. who was a human monk that was slowly turning into a dragon. I didn't illustrate that bit, but I illustrated him and his like, full gear and... Oh, that's cool. He, he's awesome. <laughs> Have you illustrated Disaster Druid? Not kind digitally. I'm curious about her. Not digitally. Um, Shelly's, I think, going to steal a Disaster Druid. I don't want to play with her. I just, yeah. I'm interested in her. She did have a name, though, right? Well, Argwin. 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 Yep. Eventually I'll get her illustrated, but it's just, that's my baby. <laughs> yeah. So. Right? It, it, it takes a lot of time to get that set in stone, right? When you're like, this is the look of well, yeah. something that had been in your mind for a well, long time. I, I have an idea because I'd done a physical version, but I've come a long way with my art since then. And it's like, okay, redrawing this and capturing the same essence, mm-hmm. you know, um, and getting her her uh, rod of perfect resurrection done because he reskinned it. Because being a half elf, a regular rod she couldn't touch because uh. the metal. So it's like, it's a living branch. That's with cool. leaves and flowers flowing around it. It's like, that's awesome. <laughs> and, that, and that was largely because until I started having her wild shape, she did take a lot of combat damage. And because I didn't roll my dice properly, she was very squishy. <laughs> Extremely squishy. Oh, and no. there, there was a point he was like, you know, you should have a lot more HP. I'm like, I just don't. I just don't. And he rolled I keep it. And he rolled it. And he rolled it. And he's like, yeah, no, you did your math wrong somewhere. Here, I'm going to roll out your HP. Here's your new HP. Thank you. <laughs> Aww, what a gift. Yes. So. Don't want bears just dying all around. You know, no. you're going to have them vivacious and alive. Yeah. So what kind of DM would you say you are? You've, you were telling me a story on, your, on our way into the studio. That um, I think you're I do up s- for a challenge. Yeah, <laughs> I, I do some loose planning. I've learned recently I can't plan as much as I thought I could. Good lesson. Because a couple of my players are chaos players. Um, I'd had this encounter planned out with a beholder for a while. Mm-hmm. And we come finally get to it. And rather than killing this beholder, we have one of the players that actually is actively attacking. We have this beholder trying to attack that, but... Wouldn't you know it, the one time I need my dice to behave well as a DM, crit, fail every roll of that session. Wow. So we have this 
beholder that can't use eye rays on anything because why? I don't know. I don't know. Just can't hit. <laughs> and we have this succubus who decides she's going to hug it. The beholder? And make friends. Oh. Aw, she felt bad for him. And so the player used their charisma. And um, where I was crit- critical failing, they were getting success. Oh, no. And it's like, fine, fine, fine. <laughs> the beholder loves you. Yeah, I actually have an emote for my channel that fits very well. Fits very well. It is a very happy-looking beholder. <laughs> <laughs> so the beholder joined the party? Did until last session when they let it sleep and it spawned two more beholders and they're like, you know what, this is dangerous. Why don't you just hang out in your lair? And he's like, yeah, I figured that happened. <laughs> Aww. But so. now there's two more beholders in the world. No, they killed him. Oh, they did. Okay. Party killed the baby beholders. Well, they're not babies. When in my beholders, mind, new beholders. When beholders are formed, so beholders come when from a, when the a beholder and a beholder beholders. love each other. We had this conversation, yeah. remember? Yeah, yeah. I do. No, no. So what happens is beholders when they sleep, if they dream of other beholders, yes. those beholders come into existence. They're not so born weird. in the same. They're abyssal. So they're aberrations. They're they, just weird. If they dream things. of other beholders, those beholders become real. Mm-hmm. Not babies. They're full-grown beholders. Full-grown beholders. If they dream of the beholders and the beholders look just like them, there's no issue. It's just copies of themselves. If they dream of them and there is a variation to any degree, they are mortal enemies. These ones had differences. They were mortal enemies. Oh, so they started oh. fighting each other. So yep. they were all... Does, do all of them fight each other? Did all yeah. three? Like, even the, the two new ones? Yep. And then the party got there and, well... And then my rolls did their thing again. <laughs> the, the the original beholder did okay. The other two. Oh man, was it just like not recharging, or like your attacks weren't, weren't rolling? Really... Just the ones again. The ones again. Oh man. I I wonder some days if I'm related to Will Wheaton. I really do <laughs> because it's like, why is this happening? Hey, your dice are like like big These swings. Are digital. They're, oh, they're digital. These are digital, dice. and it still happened, and it's wow. like. I've gotten to the point where I actually have a set that I use specifically when I'm DMing. And yes, I use them when I'm playing and streaming online now because I'm like, I can't have this anymore. <laughs> These are trained. These are well-behaved. If it happens, it's meant to happen. It's not just it's a good dumb attitude. luck. Do you ever just want to cheat when you're a DM? Like, oh my God, I'm just going to pretend not, that was an 11. Not really because... Again, I, I really believe the dice can really tell the story. Yeah, so. well, that's good. It, it can make things difficult. It's definitely changed the story I wanted to tell. <laughs> so that's where you got to roll with the punches and improv, mm-hmm. make it happen. What do you use when you when you play online? Uh, currently, I use Roll Twenty. Yeah, just because it has the built-in dice roller. Right. So, and the the fog of war thing is is it's tricky. Yeah, it's tricky. So, um, I've learned how to use the darkness, but. To use the advanced fog or I still don't get it. It's like It's a little bit tough. Yeah. 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 I know. Stuck on the beholder still. <laughs> you like want to create more. Don't go to sleep. Don't go to sleep, Shelly. They have to have to that's sleep. When Freddy, if, that's when oh. Freddie comes. Can you imagine if every time we slept, who we dream had dreams about came. Isn't that what happened with Quinn? <laughs> I 
dreamed about this little baby? <laughs> oh, kind of, actually. Right? And Kesha? That's what happened with Kesha? <laughs> totally with Kesha. <laughs> 100%. We have headcanon that Shelly is Kesha's uh, mother. You know that, right? <laughs> I had caught that one, but it, it came in pretty quick there. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's real. It's happened. Yeah, you have to notice how we both spell our... Our names <laughs> with the, with the with dollar, dollar sign. Oh, I did see that earlier. Yes, <laughs> thanks, Pelham. Make it happen. Make it happen. <laughs> so you mentioned live streaming. Mm-hmm. Where and what are you live streaming? Uh, on Twitch. Okay. And uh, I live stream to uh, the two uh, homebrew games that I'm in currently. So there's one that I'm a player, and then another where I DM. So I stream those. I stream my writing process when I'm in the mood for actually writing. How do you stream your writing process? I window capture my uh, my documents that I'm writing in, and I talk about it and get feedback from chat. Like feedback on your what you're writing. Like mm-hmm. they'll help guide help the guide. Writing, like or? hey, uh, well, like when I first did one of the races, because one of the races that I will be bringing in is definitely Pixie, mm-hmm. and they're like. I'm like, you know, this feels unbalanced. What do we need to change here? And they're like, well, this would be a good idea. It's like, we could play this out of it and see how this works. Do you get good feedback? I do. Um, I get a lot of people who have been longtime players and have played through various editions that are like, well, hey, you could bring this thing in from 2.5 or this thing from 4. Or... Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, it's, it's great. That's very vulnerable, I feel like. It, like, live streaming, playing a game is one thing, but to, like, you and your screen and your writing process Mm -hmm. to me it feels like oh my gosh shame like I don't nobody can just see like that blank page yeah blah 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 delete 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 blah blah that's how I write it is a lot of like (laughs) wait no that's stupid I'm so dumb yeah get rid of that and then the bachelorette did this that's basically what you'd be saying (laughs) do you talk it through when when you're typing like do you do you like type talk a little bit a little bit Uh, depends on where I'm at uh Last time I did that, I realized I hadn't done any of the introduction stuff, which is like most books, you open them, you have your title page, you have your uh, chapter layout, and then you have an introduction, Mm -hmm. which I was missing. (laughs) And I was like, you know, before I go any further, maybe we should give people an idea of what this book is about. (laughs) So maybe. Give a little intro. Yeah. Yeah. What is the book about? What's the intro? Yeah, tell us. Tell so us. Let's go through the writing process. It's <laughs> going to be a Fae setting. I'm not sure if it's necessarily going to be Fae Wilds, but it talks a little bit about what my inspiration was on writing it, which mm. is my lo- love of Fae folk in the first place. And 5e being setting agnostic, it could be literally anywhere, Yeah, um, which is great. It's like there's a flexibility there. You know, a lot of people will sit there, well, what setting is it? What setting do you want it to be? Right. You yeah. Know? It could be um, anywhere. It could be our world that's a little bit different. That's what I like about the Fae, yeah. too, is that there's such a wealth of mythology around the Fae in England, as well as like the El- Elfin or Alfin in Norse mythology and yep. all that, and how they're, they're, they're very interrelated there. Um, I can say I'm definitely going with a heavy Scottish, Irish, English adaption of the Mantu. Yes. Yeah. Yes. With a lot more of the core stuff there. I've got stuff that dips into existing mythologies. Mm-hmm far as what the module is going to look at because I'm doing a setting and a module because I don't know how to just dip a toe and I <laughs> cannonball in the middle of the pool. <laughs> so Nice. That's good. I like that. Um, yeah, that sounds like... And how uh, large of a project is the, is, the, is the book? Is it 
just a module, or as you say, is it going to end up It's going to be a setting and a module. They're going to be separate books. Um, the module is going to be Fables of the Famists. And then I'm still kind of playing around with the name on the setting itself. Cool. So I'm excited. That's so cool. So yeah. when, when you're building a world, like, is there, are you just going for it? Or do you know, like, is there like, well, first you must start with this environment and then you have to think about the type of creatures that inhabit this. Like, how, how what's the process for, like, building a world from scratch? It seems... I kind of bounce around. I think I initially started with what the world looks like in a physical sense. Yeah. And just kind of a rough idea of what the starting map would look like for the module. Mm. You know, and then from there, it's it's not consistent. It's anywhere and everywhere as ideas pop in. Yeah, that so. seems... Where do you get your ideas from? I don't know. They just come... <laughs> You dream just, about them? From the mushrooms. <laughs> you could get some very interesting ideas. Um, so I'm told. I know some so of I'm them. Told. Allegedly. So some of it comes from books. Some of it comes from, like I said, existing myths. Some of it comes from media. Sometimes I read something and I get an idea and I'm like, okay, but what, what if it's this but this? Mm. So The combining, the making, the, you know, synergy, yeah. synthesis, all that fun yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah. So you mentioned children, and you have children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a pair of five-year-olds. Yes. Do they? Are you playing any? Do you introduce them to D and D yet, or any type of role playing? Their first uh, dice they got were nice, big. I think they're the thirty-millimeter ones. Nice. When they were less than a year old, because oh. we would go to our weekly session, and those girls would not go to bed for anything. <laughs> For anything, they wanted to stay up for the games. Yes. Or we would have complete meltdowns and couldn't play. So it's like, all right, we just let them play. So we got them their first die. Uh, I recently got them their second set of dies uh-huh. um, from various makers. And uh, we've actually started about doing their first little game. Of course, that means you, you got you got to dumb it up a lot. Because yeah. otherwise, that is a lot of stuff for a five-year-old to keep track of. Sure. So I've got a couple simplified sheets I've put together for them. And then I ask them, hey, what do you want your character to be? And what do you want your character's main goal to be? And so we're looking at one that is very retroverse, very um, kind of Mario in the fact that kind of if you're playing Bowser and you're the one kidnapping the princess Mm. and storming the castle. (laughs) So it's. It's it's gonna be fun when I get to it. Nice, yeah. that's yeah. fun. I think you're totally right though with dealing with uh, with with five year olds, especially is that it's it's more about the theme and the rolling the die. Yeah, you yeah. know, if if Very it's above basic. a ten, it's a success. If it's below, it doesn't matter. You don't have to worry about numbers yeah. or anything like that, and that makes it good for about a forty five minute session. And then you're like, all right, Ooh, let's move on long? to something else. Really, I was gonna say that their attention spans probably don't. Go for very long. But. It, yeah. it depends on the attention span, which varies from child to child. Some can like seriously focus on something for a while. Um, yeah, not my iPad. The yeah. slime video obsession has been consistent for two months now. What is it with slime? I don't get it. Everybody, lo- all the kids like it. the slime. You don't get it until you play with it. I've played with it. I'm like, yeah, this is gross. Have you made it? Uh, I mean, I've you? watched it be made. Okay. Until you make it and until you put other things in it, you don't quite get it. And maybe you, maybe you don't get it. Mm-hmm. 
I didn't get it until I made it for them. Until you started. And then what? Like you were like, this is awesome. Then I had to make my own. (laughs) Really? Yeah. What is, what do you like about the slime? It's a texture thing and the different textures you can make with different ingredients and adding different things in. It does become like an uh, alchemy kind of thing. Definitely. It's pretty easy to make, right? Is this the glue and saline solution? Uh, You can do uh, the one I do. Yeah. Yeah. So. What I do is I use one of the PVA glues and a quarter cup of warm water and a quarter teaspoon of borax. Wow. We got some borax if you want. Because they only sell borax in big ass things. Oh, my God. (laughs) It's great for so many things. Just don't let your kids eat it. Oh, yeah. I always thought that it was like very poisonous. Yes. It is. Yes. Um, I won't let them mix it because that's like... Mommy mixes this until it's well mixed so that you don't ever... And when you're done playing with it, you wash your hands. You don't put your hands near your mouth. Oh, I can't do it. Quinn would be like, Mom, right. do I have anything right here, Mom? About? Yeah, right. Rubbing yeah. His if face. I put this in my nose, is that okay? <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, uh, we actually have one color-wise that's really close to uh, the old slime from Nickelodeon. Oh, really? It's like... Oh, God. I don't know why you chose this color, but... You just said, I, I don't know. That means the yep. slime's coming down. Well, yep. <laughs> right? Is that how it yeah. was triggered? Don't you remember? I remember that? that show, but I don't remember. Yeah, if all you the said, details. I don't know, you got slimed. Really? Gosh. I guess you're just I, not I, as old as we thought you were, Shelly. I think I'm too old. That's the problem. <laughs> you're too old? I was for, probably you like can't do this on television? when that show was on. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you were giving birth to Kesha. <laughs> yeah. I was busy. <laughs> I was raising a baby when that show was on. <laughs> It's okay, because if you weren't, then, you know, that child would have wanted to have been on that show, and then you would have had to have dealt with cleaning the slime out there. Oh, oh God. gosh. Which, I can't um, imagine. if it gets in hair and clothes, just forget it. It's not coming out ever. No, you might as well just uh, donate that. <laughs> yeah, no. Burn it in a fire. <laughs> yeah, right, that's it. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to happen. Uh, but they also make glues now that, like, have, you know, glitter stuff in them, like, that have yeah. all pre made, so you don't even have to really mix it. You still do the normal solution. Uh, uh, formula and then you got amazing like glow in the dark glue because yeah. Elmer's was smart and they're like started marketing it like for the slime people the slime people well no they already <laughs> had a lot of them for craft the stuff. slimers <laughs> it's just happens to be useful for it so they're able to sell it on another front it's, it's marketing tactics yeah smart and you do some uh, miniatures painting too yes what's that all about we, I haven't really never oh, delved into that side of is geekdom. it calming for you does you find is, it relaxing it is it is very very and it's I think the most frustrating one I ever had, and it's because I was stubborn and insisted instead just straight painting was doing what's called a wash, which is where you take the paint and you water it down. A cloak off a miniature that was primed white, and I needed the cloak to be back black. Took me over 200 coats because I was only using a very thin wash to do it. But it came out so shiny it was worth it. Wow. (laughs) That's why you do the wash? Like I was gonna say, like, why didn't you just uh, wash not is great dilute it that much? Wash is great for adding and definition in places. It's great for adding shade. It's it's got a lot of uses once you figure out how it works, and you you got to play around to figure so it out. So much more to it than just like oh black paint, put it here on this cloak. Oh red paint, right? Not like if, that. You, if you put on too much paint, you lose the texture. Right. right? Well, it, it it depends on what you're using the miniatures for. If you're just using it on battle maps you don't want to necessarily put a lot of detail because when you handle it the paint will eventually chip no matter how you seal it if you're doing it for collections that's when you get into the detailed art painting and so 
How many how many minis have you collected? I've probably got about twenty right now. Nice. Some of which are from nineteen seventy three. Wow, really? And the old metal ones? Yes. Wow. I have a couple of Ralph Hartha ones. My favorite one is from 1986, and it is a dwarf, and I painted it to be Brunner Battlehammer. Oh. Nice. And uh, weirdest thing, I will find this mini in the weirdest places sometimes. I found it nearly outside one day, and it's like, Brunner, I know you want to go on an adventure, but you got to understand... You think dragons are dangerous? Wait till a cat gets you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Have you seen the house cat? <laughs> and then it'll have to take a long time to pass through that cat. Uh, yeah, it's oh, bad for the cat, too. Because <laughs> um, he's only this big. He's trying to make its way back to Bob. That's why he keeps going out. He's like, Bobby, <laughs> do you know the way to Massachusetts? <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the wrong Salem. <laughs> Maybe. There is something weird going on, though. Your dice and now your minis are actually like moving around your house. <laughs> that might be kids. It could be. I'm going to go with, no. I'm There's go some with weird forces. Some stranger things Otherwise upside down thing happening. Yeah, that's what it, I'd like to believe. Yeah, it's the Demogorgon. Do you stream painting of miniatures? I used oh, yeah. to. Yeah? I used to. Um, I had a really bad stream habit for a while for our schedule. I would wake up at 5 a.m. What? I would go live and Excuse be live. Excuse me? I don't understand. We're, we're stuck there. Yeah. <laughs> wake up at 5 a.m. What a. is 5 a.m.? Right? <laughs> and... <laughs> I would stream until late, and then I would get off, get the kids off to school. Be off for most of the day because if I got back into it, I would be on all day and I'd miss getting them off the bus. That's a problem. Can't do that. Yeah. Not so in today's day and age, anyway. I would uh, do that, and then after the girls went to bed, I would go online again. I did this six days a week. Oh, my wow. God. Oh. What sleep? Who needs sleep? What? That's Everybody needs sleep. <laughs> So. Yeah, you, well, you definitely ha- seem to have that vein of a lifestyle streamer where you're like, I whatever creative endeavor I'm doing, I'm, I'm streaming it. Uh, yeah. So how do you, I mean, obviously you got to a point where like, this is this is too much. This, how do you set those boundaries? For and um, For me, it's when I nearly burned out and I should have seen it long before then. Because mm. um, I was streaming my painting, I was streaming my digital art, I was streaming gaming i was so over the place it was a disaster mm. and uh eventually i was like we're gonna start focusing down and so i started cutting stream here cutting a stream there what's working for me what isn't what do i want to do so and well, now we're here that's good advice for everybody right yeah. when they're dealing with that because there is yeah. that idea of you know you want to have provide as much access or or, or uh, create as much comment content as you can and then you're like well wait what about life well, and health <laughs> with with Twitch, part of it is the is what's called scarcity mindset. Yeah. The idea that there isn't enough people to watch everyone, and that's not true. Mm-hmm. Not at all. You have to sit down, think about what can you offer to other people. What can you do? That's it. Doesn't even have to be totally different from everyone else. What can you do in your way? Yeah, well, that's cool. So, what did you end up focusing on? Tabletop. Nice. Tabletop. So. Playing the games. That makes that happen. Yep. Cool. So. Well, we're glad that you were able to, to come up and talk about all that fun stuff. I feel uh, inspired. I might get into making slime <laughs> again. Yeah. Uh, or at least, you know, take more of an active role in doing it. Uh, I think, are you, are you going to Dungeon Master now? No. Dang it. <laughs> 
but we keep I do get... like you have some very good ideas that I I felt like this little spark of that would be fun. Well, and the thing is, DMing isn't for everyone. Not everyone needs to be a DM. Not everyone needs DMs to be need a player. players. DMs need players. Players need DMs. It's, it's back ever. and forth. Yeah. Yeah. So. Cool. Well, I hope you're inspiring more and more people to get out there and, uh, if not Dungeon Master, do some fun, creative stuff Yeah. Uh, with D&D and tabletop stuff. So I hope so, too, because there's, there's a lot you can do. So. Where can people watch all of your amazing streams as well as uh, follow you? Uh, on Twitter, you can find me at TornPixieTwitch, and then for our streams, it's uh, twitch.tv slash TornPixie. Sweet. TornPixie. Just remember the TornPixie. Keeping it. Consistent. That's yep. the way to do it. Good yep. branding. All right. Yep. And look for torn pixies with their wings broken everywhere. That are still flying. But they're still flying because they have their they personality. Dun, dun, dun. Thank you for the, the lesson on that. <laughs> bring them bring them I full. have dinner party conversation now. Nice. Yay. All of the all of the, uh, the, yep. the ammunition. That's for some the lore I should know. Boom. That's it. Well, we're gonna do a lore you should know uh, about pixies pretty soon. I oh, think. let's cool. do it. Yay. Yeah. Awesome. Just oh. more inspiration for your book. Thank you. <laughs> I'll take it. Awesome. <laughs> I uh, feel like there is just every week we meet people in the Dungeons and Dragons community who impress me. I agree. This is such a good community. It's true. Yes. They really do inspire all of the things. Inspiring, talented, creative. Everybody's just doing their thing. I love it. I know. I know. It makes me want to be more creative. That means we'll never have a shortage of people to talk to. That's true. That's They're, good. They, they keep getting uh, uh, more and more creative. Yes. And, and they elevate all of us. Just like we do when we lift people up. Yes. That's right. That's what we're here for. We're like a D&D group here that's d and ding the community. Yeah. We're dungeon like mastering the community. a pulley system. A pulley system. We lift you right? up. Isn't our pulleys really fascinating? I <laughs> just, love that. This is not to do a, razy, a crazy segue, but have you ever actually lived like, the yes. whole block and tackle it's thing? It's crazy. It is. In- <laughs> I didn't mean that. <laughs> it's in. Interesting. interesting. It's intriguing uh, how I have to change a lot. I know, right? It's, well, that's what that's why we have I'm people like like uh, like Doctor B in our lives to yeah. to educate us. That's he's he's a wealth of knowledge. So cray cray's out too. Well, I uh, maybe I think it that's is. a derivative of, yeah. of of the thing. Yeah, uh, but you then we just got to come up with new crazy word. Damn it! <laughs> It's uh, too hard. Oh my gosh. We're well, working on it. We're looking at. We are works in progress. We're going to put that on the schedule to figure out new words to. Oh no! Oh, new words it's abound. Uh, it's all over the place. Okay. Well. Uh, but that was a fantastic interview. I enjoyed it. I yes. enjoyed it. And as, as always, I enjoy talking to you, Shai. I enjoy talking to you. You're a good person. We should do this more often. <laughs> Let's do it once a week Just from now on. We'll put it on the calendar. Okay. I think people should be following you on Twitter. I do too. Yeah. And they can do that at Shelly Moo. Shelly Moo. And they should probably follow you too. That's if right. If they're not already. They I probably hope, are. I wish they were. Uh, I'm at Greg Tito. Um, I'm also on Instagram if you like some pictures. I like I do, pictures. I do take a lot of them. Do uh, you? I don't post as much. Uh, I need to get into the habit of, of posting a lot more. Um, but uh, I go through you know busy phases where I'm like, ah, I'm posting too much. And then I stop for oh. like weeks. And then I post too much again. But there's well, a lot of good stuff on there. My kids, my D&D games. Check them out. Okay. Uh, that's uh, at Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. And, of course, if you want to get into all things Dungeons & Dragons, if you haven't already, go to DungeonsAndDragons.com. Go there now. Download Dragon Plus onto your apps. Play Warriors of Waterdeep on your phone. It is a fantastic mobile game uh, that allows you to yes. explore Waterdeep 
and take out monsters like ogres and other bad things while earning fun loot. Uh, a great little bite-sized uh, gameplay that you can get into with Warriors of Waterdeep. I've been playing it a lot uh, while I've been here, so check it out. Um, any other fun th- stuff we want to highlight before we close this out? Shelley, what do you think? Just be good. Be excellent, be excellent to each other. Play lots of D&D. Play lots of Dungeon Mayhem. And Dungeon Mayhem. You should really all be playing Dungeon Mayhem. It is. It's not a big ask. So easy to pick up. So easy to learn. It's so easy to learn. It's so fun. It's so much fun. It is never not fun. <laughs> and you should also watch Pelham's Hot Mess. It's true. The latest addition to the D&D Twitch lineup. That's a good call. Tuesdays at yes. uh, 4 p.m. Uh, after I do D&D news yeah. here on this Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash D&D. Hot mess. It is a hot mess. There's, uh, you can watch the first episode in which we all played Dungeon Mayhem right? in and a then, tournament. And then uh, they played uh, Betrayal, uh, Betrayal at Baldur's, Baldur's Gate. Um, and then I think there's another game coming up. Uh, Have you announced what you're doing yet, Pelham? For your next hot mess? Dungeon! Dungeon! With an exclamation point at the end. Dungeon! Oh, we should play. I'm going to play Wizard. Are you playing in it? I don't know. I haven't decided yet. It's my birthday next Tuesday, actually. Oh, no! So I'm kind of half deciding whether or not I want to be in at all. But then again, I'm doing D&D news, so I'm probably going to make myself come in. Well, then you're going to get a cupcake to the face. I like cupcake on the face. All right. All right. That's going to be amazing. And give away some stuff like I did on my birthday. That's the best way to do it. Uh, oh, my gosh. Have I dollar signed? What does that say? Sketchy Mazanoble. How often do you change our names? <laughs> you just... Where's my dollar sign? Dollar sign. I love it. That's awesome. Love it. Uh, well, thank you, everyone, for listening to us on this podcast. I don't know if we say that enough, but everybody who's a listener is fantastic. Yes. You know what? We do need... The more I listen to podcasts, the more I notice other people saying that. Yeah. Thank you. So now I feel bad. Thank you for... I know. I'm like, I feel like, well, I have to remind ourselves to actually like say thank you to these wonderful listeners who yeah. listen to all these longies. Thank you for, I mean, because this is going to be like the end of a longie. I it think. is. Yeah. Well, if you've stuck with it, yeah. we should probably thank you in the beginning too. You get a star A plus high five yes. from us. And maybe you could give us a star A plus high five if you like to review podcasts. Oh, that's true. But, but only if you like this podcast. And then we'll do a review of your <laughs> review. Uh, we and will issue a rebuttal. Most of the review will be <laughs> Love lift us up where we belong. <laughs> Thank you for listening to us. You're the best. You're good people. Okay. Uh, we are out. See you later. Bye. Bye. <laughs> and we're dead now. <laughs>